to hear. There you go. <clears throat> yeah. Well, this, uh, this Advent, we're going to be looking at the, some scripture verses from Isaiah, four different passages in Isaiah, and really looking at, uh, as your bulletin says, a season of promise, really trying to do the hard thing, as I'll mention in the sermon, of waiting for Christmas, sitting in a time of waiting. As I'll mention later, we don't like to wait. We don't really like to wait all that much. But I think these texts, these Isaiah texts, really call us to cast our vision ahead, to look ahead, look towards God's promises that are coming with great expectation. And so this morning we're in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> Excuse me, Isaiah 2, 1 through 5. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways so that we may walk in His paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is a fun one for me to study. I really like the Old Testament, and so this was a very fun one for me to look at. But one of the commentators, uh, sometimes these guys, they say things that aren't very hopeful. They say things that aren't very inspiring, and I want to share one of those things with you this morning. One of them says, whatever realities this text speaks of, they exist primarily in the realm of promise and hope, not in the realm of reality. So all of these great things that Isaiah prophesied literally over 2,000 years ago we still have to say these are in the realm of promise and hope. Things that haven't happened yet, not in the realm of reality. So let that sink in for a moment in this season where we're trying to get excited for Christmas, and yet we're looking at a text that possibly, if, if, if we look at the reality around us and say, oh, but we're not there yet. Still, 2,000 years after the coming of Christ, we're not there yet. We haven't seen what Isaiah sees. We don't look around us and see this vision that Isaiah sees. What do we do with that? What do we do with that? Because this is a season of promise and hope, two very important words, two very powerful words, powerful concepts. We're anticipating the coming of Christ we're anticipating, but, but we don't really, as I said a little while ago, we don't really want to wait to celebrate Christ's coming. We want to do it now. We just want Christmas to be here already. It's becoming kind of trite and cliche, maybe even annoying to talk about, but the reality is, you know, I went to Costco around Halloween time, and you've got Chris, or Halloween costumes, might as well be Christmas costumes at this point. They're Halloween costumes with all the Christmas decorations, and it's just this craziness in my mind of, what is happening? How can I separate the two? What am I supposed to be doing? How do I really be waiting for Christmas when Christmas just seems to be here already? 
So how can we as people who believe have this tradition of waiting with great promise, great hope, how can we kind of get back to that, uh, the, the power of waiting in an instant gratification culture? In a culture that says, you should get what you want now. Don't wait. Get it now. And so as followers of Christ, we who, as I said, stand in a tradition of waiting for Jesus' coming. We're waiting for Jesus' coming. That is our tradition. How do we embrace this period of waiting rather than say, you know, it's just kind of annoying to wait. Let's jump ahead to Christmas. How can our lives be shaped then? And this is the part that we're going to really get to. How can our lives be shaped by the waiting? How can our lives be shaped by the promise and the hope? Things that are not our realities that we wait for, long for, anticipate. How can those things shape our lives even now? Even now. Over uh, the season of Advent, uh, we're choosing to reflect a little bit on this, uh, this great Advent and Christmas devotional by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I'm going to be sharing uh, over the weeks a, a few things from this. Uh, if you follow us on Facebook or Instagram, you'll see some quotes from this um, as we go through it over these next four weeks. But um, Bonhoeffer has a way with words. And in one of his reflections called, Waiting is an Art, here's what he says. And it's a little bit lengthy, but uh, it's so worth it. Here's what Bonhoeffer says in Waiting is an Art. He says, Celebrating Advent means being able to wait. Waiting is an art that our impatient age has forgotten. He wrote that in 1940s. You think that we haven't become a little bit more impatient with technology, cell phones, computers in our pockets? Waiting is an art that our impatient age has forgotten. He says that wants to break open the ripe fruit when it has hardly finished planting the shoot. But all too often the greedy eyes are only deceived. The fruit that seems so precious is still green on the inside. And disrespectful hands ungratefully toss aside what has so disappointed them. And then listen to these words. This is just beautiful words. Whoever does not know the austere blessing of waiting, that is of hopefully doing without, will never experience the full blessing of fulfillment. Those who do not know how it feels to struggle anxiously with the deepest questions of life, of their life, and to patiently look forward with anticipation until the truth is revealed, cannot even dream of the splendor of the moment in which clarity is illuminated for them. That's pretty wordy stuff. I get it. But it's similar to what Isaiah is giving, this vision that says you've got to look forward. You've got to look ahead. A better day is coming and it's worth living in the now, understanding that a better day is coming. Even though reality might be chaotic and messed up, it's worth looking forward because when the fulfillment happens, it's going to be so good. Finally, Bonhoeffer says, for the greatest, most profound Tenderest things in the world, we must wait. As Bonhoeffer says here, it turns out promise and hope are powerful forces if we will let them be and not say, I don't want to wait. Let's just get it now. I want to turn to our text, get a, a sense of what's going on here in this vision from Isaiah, and then get a sense of what does it mean for us? What are the implications for us why would we even bother 
So many thousands of years after Isaiah, why would we bother to still read these powerful text. So let's turn to our text. I'll give a little bit of context. The first chapter of Isaiah, it it gives us this sense of where Isaiah is located in history. Isaiah the prophet, it says, uh, starting in verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, the vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah son of Amos saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So we get a sense of when these events are taking place. Isaiah is a prophet of the southern kingdom. If you remember your quick church history, your Old Testament history, which I'm not assuming any of you do, because some of us just don't like that, but I love it, so you're stuck with me today. There was a period of time after Solomon's reign, remember King Solomon, the great King Solomon, the kingdom was together, it was unified, one of the most powerful kingdoms in, in the land, and Solomon's son, great name, Rehoboam, he kind of screwed things up. He decided to to increase, basically, not slavery, but work on all the people to build royal things and, and, and just work for the kingdom. And the people said, you know what? We don't need that. And there was a guy with another really cool name, Jeroboam, who said, you know what? I'm gonna take then the northern 10 tribes and we're gonna do our own thing. So the kingdom is split. And there's the southern kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel. Isaiah is writing to the southern kingdom where Jerusalem exists. And he's writing in the year of these kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. It's interesting. And here's here's where some scholars, and I I don't want to get too deep into this, but what's very interesting is those kings' life spans 110 years. And then Isaiah gets into the Babylonian exile, talking about the exile period, so many wonder how one person could have written all of Isaiah. It's possible that there was one person. It's possible that Isaiah basically had disciples, and those disciples in a prophetic tradition gathered and collected all of these things that we now call the whole book of Isaiah. But it's very interesting because Isaiah saw in his history, I think it's 66 books of Isaiah, he saw all kinds of things. He saw the fall of the northern empire. He saw the fall of Israel. Assyria came and wiped them out. He saw kings who refused to listen to him, which essentially meant they refused to listen to God. He would say to these kings, no, 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 God will save you. Don't go to Egypt for protection. No, 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 it seems more Egypt will help us. And for a moment that looked good, for a moment that would work, and then it would all crumble. He watched as Babylon came and conquered Jerusalem, hauled people off to captivity. He had seen some crazy stuff in his time. And he had constantly tried to call the people back to God, saying, there's a better way, there's a better way. Come back to God, come back. He saw it all. And so in these first two chapters of Isaiah, what we get here, where our text is located, is we get Isaiah going from trouble to promise, trouble to promise, trouble to promise. For example, here's some words of trouble. Isaiah writes in the first chapter, Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers. Wouldn't you love to have this written about you? Children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They've spurned the Holy One of Israel, turned their backs on Him. But then a few verses later, he says, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, 
they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you're willing and obedient, you'll get good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. There's this trouble and promise. Trouble and promise. Chapter 2 picks this up. And what we have here are words of promise. Isaiah giving words of promise to a people in desperate need of these words who, who are, are, are tempted constantly to turn their back and turn to other things other than God to say, well, maybe this God can save us. Maybe this army can save us. And Isaiah is constantly trying to call them back and give them a vision of what it would look like if they would give themselves entirely to the Lord. Verse 1 gives us context once again of Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah's vision here is about Judah and Jerusalem. It's what he sees of Judah and Jerusalem. And it's important here that he is given a vision. This is not something Isaiah hears, it's something he sees. And so as you go through this text, as we go through this text, try to picture what he sees. As I pictured it, it was blowing my mind. Literally just, I couldn't take it all in of how amazing this scene would be if it were reality and not just promise and hope. Try to picture what Isaiah is painting here. This vision, he said, is the last days. In the last days, this statement here, it can certainly mean, uh, as we church folk call, the end times. Or last days could just be something, as he's saying, like, gosh, it's coming. I see it on the horizon. It's out there. Folks, have some hope that better days are coming. Those last days when God will set all things right. But what does he see? That's what I'm more interested in. What is it that Isaiah sees coming in these last days? This is what we need to picture. He says, The mountain of the Lord's temple will be the highest mountain, exalted above the hills. And here's the part that's really cool. All the nations will stream to it. Can you picture that? Can you picture everyone, all peoples, all nations finally recognizing, as we just sang, that God is king of the world and let's go find him. Let's go. Let's be on mission to find God. Let's stream to the holy city of Jerusalem. Everyone, Isaiah says in those last days, everyone's going to go to find God. They'll be intensely seeking the Holy One and they will be able to find him. He won't be hidden. He won't be sitting on a cloud somewhere. They'll be able to find him. God will, Isaiah is saying. God will in the future. Isaiah, long before Jesus was born, Isaiah is saying, you will be able to find God. God is going to reveal himself to you. Oh, can you feel it? It's going to happen. And here we are in this Christmas season where we wait for the time to celebrate God revealing Himself to us. This is good news. This is good news of everyone streaming to find the God who has been revealed. And Isaiah continues, he says, Many people will say, let's go to the mountain of the Lord, to the God of Jacob, but why are they going there? So he can teach us his ways. So we can walk in his paths. He can judge between the nations, settle disputes between peoples, bring an end to war, 
violence, and destruction. This is what Isaiah sees. Isaiah sees a vision of all peoples, people who were once hostile to one another, peoples who were divided as no other peoples could be divided. We're talking about Palestinians and Israelites getting along, streaming to the mountain of the Lord and saying, there he is, there is God. He's going to settle all of this stuff. And this is the vision of promise and hope that Isaiah sees and relays to his listeners to us. He relays it to us because we still are in a place needing promise and hope. Because as we look around our world, as we prayed this morning, the reality of our world is very different from these words of promise and hope that Isaiah gives us. The reality is that nations are still at war with nations. People are in disputes with people. Many are seemingly indifferent, if not entirely disinterested in learning or following the ways of the Lord. So this vision of all people saying, we want to know the ways of the Lord, it seems a little far-fetched when we look at the reality of our world. When we look at the challenges in the Middle East, I mean, this is talking about all people streaming to Jerusalem. I mean, Jerusalem is one of the most hotly contested cities in our world. You've got Christians, Muslims, and Jews all saying it's ours. Nobody there is saying, oh yes, God is here and we can all get along and sing around the fire. Not in Jerusalem. Promise and hope, not reality. Syria, see more images on on the media of, of, of bombings in Syria, people losing their loved ones, their children. Little kids walking through rubble to school, still trying to have a normal life in the midst of bombings. The threat of ISIS all around us, all around the world even. The refugee crisis this has called. It just all shows us that the world is not at peace. That these images that Isaiah sees, it's not reality, it's promise and hope. All of that, not to mention in any of that stuff we're seeing in our own country, Racial tensions, hate crimes, a country extremely divided where we just talk past each other, where it would seem that now the world is more connected than ever before, and yet some of that more connected than ever before causes more division than ever before. If you see any of the conversations on Facebook, you know what I'm talking about. One person says this and says, oh, that's not that, that's this, and flame war ensues. Can't we all just get along? We need promise and hope. Our world needs promise and hope. The nations need promise and hope because reality reality kind of stinks right now. We need promise and hope. And the reality is this vision that Isaiah gives, it's not going to happen because of human efforts alone. It's not going to happen because of a, a great political strategist, military might, Or pie in the sky, let's just all get along. It's not going to happen because of that. It's only going to happen. It's only going to happen if those of us who call on the name of Christ continue to be faithful to that call and believe in the promise and hope that the promise and hope is worth living for and showing to others. I want to land here on verse 5. Verse 5, if you've noticed, I haven't mentioned yet. 
Verse 5 is an interesting one. Some uh, scholars are saying that they think this maybe was kind of inserted. Not really sure where it came from. Doesn't really fit either place. Others think that, well, maybe it should be better connected to the next section uh, of Isaiah's prophecy here. But as I, as I studied this and as I looked at it, I, I think there's something else going on. And, and I tend to, to side with some of the commentators who said, what Isaiah is doing here with this phrase, come descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. It's as if Isaiah is saying, okay, God has given you people of God, those who claim to follow God. God has given you a vision of the last days where finally all people will come to follow God's ways. True peace will exist on earth. But as for you, my people, what is stopping you from living out this promise and hope now? Because he gives this vision and and just like we have read today, it's possible that the people at that time are saying, these are nice words, Isaiah, but um, Assyria is about to come down and destroy us. The Babylonian Empire is growing. We've got these pressures all around. And you're telling us that those people, our enemies, are going to one day stream to the holy mountain. Thanks for that. Real helpful as they're trying to kill us now. And so you have this last phrase, come, descendants of Jacob, have some hope. Let's walk in the light of the Lord. Let's trust in God even though the reality all around us says maybe we shouldn't. One scholar says, If Yahweh is committed to achieving a purpose whereby the nations let their lives be shaped by Yahweh's teaching, the least Israel could do is let that teaching shape their lives now. So, see me covenant, friends, visitors, seekers, if God has revealed His purpose, not only in this vision to Isaiah, a vision of all people streaming to learn God's ways, but also God has revealed Himself in sending His Son to give us a picture of what God looks like, what God's character is like, of what it looks like to pour out one's life for all people, then the least we could do is to let the teachings of Christ shape our lives now. Promise and hope. I mean, is it not in the very least our call to be people of promise and hope in a world gone mad? Can we do that at least? Show people that there is hope, there is promise. Can we in the very least be people, the kind of people that that love and serve, allow our lives to be reflected of this last day's vision? That is, can we live lives where we are committed to learning the Lord's ways? Where we are committed to walking in His paths. Where we work toward peacemaking in every little corner of the world that we can. Where in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, with our classmates, our co-workers, we have the opportunity to live out this vision, though it's a vision of promise and hope. Are you with me? Are you with me on this? So I believe... The other part, after looking at this text and discerning its application for us, that it's kind of cyclical. That is, if I was more committed to living out this promise and hope, if we, followers of Christ, were walking in the light of the Lord, holding out promise and hope to a world gone mad, we might increase the potential for people to stream to the Lord. You see what I'm saying there? 
that if we were to live in the light of the Lord, some other people might saying like, I want some of that light too. Can you tell me about that? This world is pretty crazy. Why do you have any hope? This world, as I look at it, ugh, I'm just done. I'm living for me. But why do you have some sort of sense that you should care about others? Isn't that what being the light means? Being the light that others might say, teach me these ways. Show me that path. Shining so that others can see. Shining a light so that in this darkness in our world and hopelessness in our world, other people would say, oh, there seems to be a light over here. There seems to be a light in the people of Simi Covenant. There seems to be a light there. Help me. Is that maybe what the vision looks like today? For Christ has come and people are streaming to find him. In those last days, those last days we can lament, we can resent, we can wonder what is, why is God taking so long? Or we can do our job. Live up to our calling as followers of Christ. Shine our light. Lighting the way that others can begin their journey, their journey to the mountain to God revealed in Jesus Christ. I want to read a little section of Bonhoeffer here. He says, Jesus is standing at the door knocking. And in total reality, he comes in the form of the beggar, of the dissolute human child in ragged clothes, asking for help. Jesus confronts you in every person that you meet. As long as there, is peop- as long as there are people, Christ will walk the earth as your neighbor, as the one through whom God calls you, speaks to you, makes demands on you. This is the great seriousness and great blessedness of the Advent message. Christ is standing at the door. He lives in the form of a human being among you. Do you want to close the door or open it? Christ is at the door. Oftentimes we think about that for ourselves. Jesus is knocking at the door of our heart. That's great. That's a great application of the text. But this, the sense that Jesus, as we talked about last week, is knocking at the door in the form of the least of these and your neighbors and the people all over around us. He's knocking at the door. As people are knocking at the door asking, can we get to Jesus? Can you light the way for us? So come, see me covenant church. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. So hear the promise and hope of this season. Now, visualize it. Try to see it if you can. Don't just hear it. See it as Isaiah saw it. Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh. Can you even wrap your mind around that? The Word of God putting on an earth suit. Have you thought about it like that? God putting on flesh. I love how Eugene Peterson says it in the, in the message. Putting on flesh and moving into the neighborhood. He puts on flesh and he moves into the neighborhood. That is what we're celebrating this time of year. Jesus is God with us. So picture it, this vision of people streaming to Zion, to the mountain of the Lord. Maybe we have to tweak it a bit now that Jesus has come. Maybe it's tweaked a little bit now that Jesus has come. Because God has shown that he himself is accessible forever. 
God has revealed Himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. God has shown that He is for us and He is indeed for all the nations, for all peoples. Everyone has access. Everyone can find Him. It's possible that those last days Isaiah was talking about started to come true so that the prophecy began with Jesus' first coming, His first advent. People, remember, streamed to learn about Jesus. They clamored to hear Him, to see Him, to be healed by Him, to touch Him. They wanted to get to Jesus. They were streaming to Jesus. And then over the last 2,000 years, the movement hasn't died. You think if it was just all made up and just some gobbledygook and Jesus was just some nice guy, really, why are people still, why are we even here today talking about Jesus if it was just like, eh, I don't know, he was an interesting guy that kind of lived 2,000 years ago, did some nice things. No, we're here talking about giving our lives to him because over the last 2,000 years, people have streamed to understand his teachings, walk in his ways, that they might be light in a world full of darkness and despair. At the beginning of this message, I read these words. Whatever realities this text speaks of, they exist primarily in the realm of promise and hope, not in the realm of reality. True as that statement might be, I believe that promise and hope are powerful, powerful forces. Promise and hope are worth imagining, envisioning, and living for. Because we live for a hope. We live in the promise that one day, this is where we're at. If, if, if you're new to, to church, if you're new to understanding what is this Jesus thing all about, we are those who are living for a hope, living with the promise that one day, all things will be made new. All things will be reconciled, redeemed, restored to God's original design, intention, and purpose. And that is a hope worth living for. We hold fast, we in the church who have given our lives to Christ, we hold fast to Christ's promises of eternal life, a life that never ends. To forgiveness of sins, that there's one way to have your sins forgiven and that is in Christ. And we hold fast to Christ's promises of reconciliation of all peoples. This vision that Isaiah has where others might say, that's crazy. You're telling me that Muslims, Jews, and Christians will get along one day? Yeah, that's what we're telling you. Because God has the power to reconcile the craziest of things. He's that powerful and he's that good. So come, followers of Christ. In this season of promise and hope that we're kicking off today, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let us practice the art of waiting that we may one day experience the full blessing of fulfillment. Would you pray with me? Lord, we turn our gaze to you. This vision that Isaiah gives, it's awesome. It's amazing. We want to experience glimpses of this vision even now, Lord. We believe that in sending your son Jesus, you gave us glimpses of this vision, of what it looks like to live as people of the light, full of promise and hope.
Lord, empower us to be your light. Holy Spirit, empower us to be light to our neighbors, our family, our friends, our co-workers, our classmates. God, we want to see this vision come true, that many people would come seeking you. Lord, use us. Use us to be light in your world. Use us to hold out promise and hope in a world that desperately needs just that promise and hope. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand for our closing song?